Carl Butcher. Good morning. Oh, I should have made this taller. My eyes, they keep getting older. I'd just like to thank Brian Carlson for the binder clip this morning, which he sacrificed to me at great cost, personally to him. Let's, uh, I want to pray. It's a thing, you know, we do sometimes for four sermons. I was sitting back there. Would you guys just pray? You could pray quietly or out loud or whatever you want to do. I'm not going to bring the mic around, but you pray. Pray for what you want God to do here this morning, and we'll go with that. Sounds good? All right. Sorry if I'm interrupting. Amen. Uh, so I got a <clears throat> this sermon as an assignment, which is great. I love a prompt. Uh, one of the hardest things is when somebody says, hey, go ahead and preach. I'm like, what, what about? Um, but I got a passage and I got a title. God is happy. I'm like, oh, yeah. Sign me up for that one. I'm into it. So this is God is happy. We're going to be looking at, unsurprisingly, some of this passage that Eve just read this morning. Um, I'm going to be using the English Standard Version throughout today, which is more word-for-word-ish and is bringing a little more poetry to the party, which is why we've chosen it for this morning. So this is Matthew 3, uh, 13 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, unclear antecedent, by the way, John, John consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. I want to retell this story, um, and we're going to employ uh, one of the uh, traditions. We're going to use a cinematic way of thinking. If you're good at visual imagination, when we get to a part, I want you to use your visual imagination. If you're not, just listen to the concepts. You'll get along okay. So let's review the whole book of Matthew. I feel like we haven't spent enough time on Matthew. We really need to go back to the beginning. What's happened so far in the book of Matthew? Okay, we start 
with the genealogy of Jesus. So Jesus is only in that part of the book at the very end when he gets born. Like, it, up till then, it's all of the story of the people that come before. We spent a lot of time on this. It was super cool. Um, next part, Jesus gets born. This is a story you might hear at Christmas. If you don't know the story of Jesus' birth, hit me up afterwards. I'll take you through it beat by beat. I'm going to assume you do know for now. Um, then they escape to Egypt because Herod is killing everyone. So they run away. They become refugees. Um, and they escape to Egypt. And then they come back. <laughs> they come back to Nazareth is where they are now. Which is, it's a neat, um, this is an unnecessary digression. You know, it's said that the Messiah will be from Bethlehem and from Nazareth. So it's like, oh, how can he be from two places? It's like, well, I like this. This is how we get around that. It works. Um, it's, and it's true. And then John the Baptist comes. We, we've dealt with that last week. Talked about it a little bit this morning. John the Baptist is doing this thing, baptizing everyone. That's the whole book of Matthew. I didn't leave anything out, I promise. All of the themes, all the things that have happened, despite the fact that we've spent like a year on this so far, that's all of it recapped, okay? And then we come to this story. Jesus coming to John on purpose to get baptized. They had their little back and forth about who's going to baptize who, and John consents. And now I want you to activate your imagination. These two men, cousins, go down to the river. Has anybody ever seen a river baptism? It's a neat thing. The trough is also beautiful in its own way, but there's something particularly delightful when you can about being out in nature, in the world. So there they are, in their robes and their clothes, and they go down into the river. And then John baptizes Jesus, and as he comes up, I want you to go into slow-mo with me. Jesus comes out of the water, still clinging to his face from surface tension. It starts to clear, the drops falling from his hair as he comes up from the baptism. And in that moment, the heaven, the sky opens up. Somehow, there's a sense of a connection, I think, to the physical sky and to the spiritual heaven all at once. And the Spirit of God descends out of the heavens, coming on him like a dove, it says. And the voice of God speaks out. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Let it sit, freeze in your mind all of that in one moment. A tableau. All of the Trinity is gathered in this moment. The Father beholding the Son, the Spirit resting on him. All of the Trinity gathered together in a moment of unity and delight. 
taking great pleasure and joy in each other. I like when I'm exploring these things to look at Hebrew. One day I'll learn that language, but for now I use tools online. And in the order it's written in the Hebrew, um, it would be like this. It would say, this is the son of me, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased, which somehow in Greek is one word. <laughs> this is the son of me. From the helps study properly a son by birth or adoption, figuratively, anyone sharing the nature of their father. In the New Testament, we want to make this clear. When this word is used, uh, it, it refers to all genders. <laughs> this is not a male thing. Uh, it's about emphasizing the likeness of the believer with the Heavenly Father, resembling the Father more and more. And this highlights, in addition, the legal right of inheritance. When you call someone a son using this word, this is the son of me, this is my inheritor, this is who gets all my stuff. The son of me, this is the one who is like me, this is the one who shares my nature, this is the one who resembles my character, this is my heir. This is the beloved. The beloved. For churchy people, you, this is agapetos, from agape, that special God love that we learn about. Um, loved, beloved, and there are two special ways this word is used. Agapetos is a title. There are two people that get the title beloved. One is my beloved Jesus, beloved amongst all others. The other person, people, who get the title is Christians, God's beloved. More on this later. This is the one in whom. In the ESV it's translated with, I like in, um, but uh, either one works to a degree. Be the word literally, it means in, like inside, within, in there. Um, figuratively in the realm or sphere of, the condition of, something that operates from with inside. When with child is used in the New Testament, that's the same word. So when you're with child, it's a very in experience, okay? And I like it, because it's not like, I'm pleased with this guy. I'm, we're pleased with it. It's in you. Inside of you, I am pleased. My pleasure is within you, which is why I like it. I am well pleased. We're doing a lot of work. Um, this is from the help study again. This is, it's two words um, mashed together. Uh, we do this in English and German too. Good is one of the words and to think. To think good. I think it's good. Um, what seems good, pleasingly acceptable. Um, and acceptable to God is not like, acceptable in English is a pretty light word, like a bagel was acceptable. You would not say this about your favorite bagel. Um, but acceptable here is like, as I will it to be, I accept it in its fullness in all of the, what it is. Pleasingly acceptable. 
what God thinks is good, what he takes pleasure in, what he is delighted in. This is the son of me, the beloved, in whom I am well pleased. Imagine, if you can, that moment again. Imagine what it would feel like to be pleased with someone. If you are a parent, a grandparent, if you have, especially little ones that you delight in, pets work here too. Imagine being delighted, being well pleased in someone or something. And now, if you can, turn it around and imagine being delighted in that incredible pleasure. I love, I think kids and dogs uh, are delightful to, to reflect back. When you delight in them, in their body, you see the delight take purchase. They wriggle with the joy that you have put into them. They experience it very fully. They don't have the defenses. Grown-ups are like, it's cool that you're delighted. I'm, I'm delightful. Or more like, please don't do this to me. <laughs> Finding a way to deflect. Here's a question. We went through the whole story. Why is God delighted in Jesus? Jesus hasn't started his ministry yet. So what, what did he do to get delighted in? What did he do? Where's his, his resume, his CV? Like, you did a great job on that. I'm delighted. Not the story, is it? Hasn't done a dang thing. Nothing in the sphere of action is there to create belovedness or delightedness in Jesus. So why? I'm going to tell you. It's okay. God loves his son because of who he is, because of the nature and character and the way in which Jesus is. He's beloved, and he is well pleased with the way Jesus is in his nature, in his essence. God sees what is good. He sees himself. And all that is beautiful and perfect there that is made, and it is good, and it is pleasing. It is pleasingly acceptable. And I want to say, I think that this is important to understanding the nature of God and the nature of the Trinity, also God. <laughs> That's the kind of person, being God is. Not a manager looking for you to have done a good job, not counting merit badges. <clears throat> God loves you for you. God loves himself for himself in the Trinity, is in a constant relationship of self-love. Had to, so full of love, he needed to be more than one person in one person to love himself, and that spills out. That's the kind of God God is, and I think that's beautiful. But I think there's more to all that. 
by itself, if we stop here, you could say, neat. Thanks, Carl. God loves himself. That and a paper cup and I can get a coffee. You know, good, good, good day. It's great that God loves himself. God's got high self-esteem. We appreciate that. What's it got to do with us? What does it have to do with us? Oh, yeah. That's the cool part. I go, I'm overexcited. Okay, well, take a breath. Oh, you guys. Oh, I don't know if I'm going to be able to calm down. All right. That's, that's the coolest part. That's the thing with this Jesus part. The whole story that we're getting into. Jesus' mission to bring the kingdom. Jesus comes as a reconciler, as a connector, as an integrator to, to restore us into this kind of love. That's the thing. That's the thing with Jesus. That's the thing that's distinct about the conception of God we have in Christianity. We have God with us. We have God who comes with us, who comes to us, who reconciles us. Not a distant God, but a present God. Let's read some scriptures. Let's talk about it. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like his... We shall be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we may be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So that you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So what I would call, they call the old self, they call the self bound to sin, I would say the false self, the, the accretion of sin and death that is not a part of who we really are that's been put on us, has been crucified if we are in Christ, and is gone, and then we're alive in Christ, alive in, inside Christ, not with Christ, in Christ. Galatians 2.20 I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus is in me. We're in him. He's in us. Every which way you go, God is coming to be with you, inside of you, within him. A deep, intimate, trinity-like relationship of deep connection. There's more. Ephesians 4.15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together, 
by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so it builds itself up in love. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is the vine for the branches. He is the one to whom we are connected and with whom we are connected to each other. He is the director. He is the sustainer, the bringer of life from the root so that fruit can grow out from us on the branches connected to him as the vine. In the beginning of John, my favorite part of the Bible, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The Word, the Logos, Jesus, in deepest pre-time communion, uncreated communion with God. Jesus, Father and Son, not because one made the other, but because from the beginning, before time, a loving relationship in their very nature of father and sonship to one another, we have the father and son spirit integrated. Skipping ahead, verse 9 through 12. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right the right to be children of God, children of God, the heirs, the sons and daughters, the children of Jesus, the children with Jesus, joint heirs with Jesus, him and us, us and him. And yet, I want to be clear, still our distinctive selves. You are not subsumed, you don't lose who you are in the being in Jesus and him and you, you are made to be who you are in your best self in that particularity. Particularity is in the Trinity. The Father is not the Son, is not the Spirit, is God because particularity and intimate love is essential to the nature of God. And you, in Jesus, in who you are, distinct. None of you is Jesus, okay? You're in Jesus, he's in you, you're not him. But you're in a relationship with God, with the Trinity, in a very similar way to the way in which the Trinity is in relationship to itself. Particular, who you are, but deeply, deeply connected, deeply loved, deeply valued. All right, I hope you bought it, that you're in Jesus, that he's in you. Let's return to our frozen moment. Okay, here we were, under the water, coming up, only now it's you. The water comes off your face and you hear as the spirit descends on you, this is my child, my beloved, in whom I am well pleased. That's you. That's you, that's you, that's you in Christ. Just as God made you from the beginning, from before time, that's you. You are 
the beloved. You are the child of me. You are the one inside of whom God is well pleased. That's you pleasingly acceptable. Try to know that. Try to feel God's love, God's delight. God is well pleased in you. I think there are a couple of things that get in the way. Sometimes we are not well pleased in us. I understand that. I think there are things that feel like they're not very pleasing. I genuinely believe that the Spirit will make clear to you the things that are not pleasing to you are not you. God is so pleased with with you and that there are foibles and mistakes, inheritances of systems of pain and struggle through your family, through your neighborhoods, through your country that have left marks but that can and will be healed. And we can ask God to help us to know because sometimes I think we get confused. We think there are things that are not well-pleasing that are maybe not what God's concerned about. And sometimes we might miss things that are seem fine. Maybe they're in line with our culture that maybe God isn't pleased about. He'll tell you. He wants to start with this I'm well pleased part. Because he's the other part doesn't affect the way he sees you. <laughs> it has nothing to do with who you are. It's just the old self. It's just the body of sin. The other thing I think that gets in the way sometimes. Oh, friends. Is suffering. You're suffering. Others suffering. I've been listening to stories about our beloved um, in Syria and Turkey. Stories from some survivors as well as the stories of those who are gone and how can you say that God loves us? And I think you have to ask yourself in times of suffering, and I don't have a perfect answer. This is what I have, and I think it's meaningful. In times of suffering, when you're suffering, when you think about other suffering, I think you have to ask yourself, where is God? And that God, I think, is there. God suffers with the suffering. He is with you. He is in you as you suffer, and he suffers, and he suffered. And I think that doesn't answer all of those questions. But for me, it, it can begin to understand where God can is and what love looks like. Love is with the suffering. Love suffers with So the sermon is, God is happy. And I just want to say, I, I think he's happy with you.
Will you stand? And we will observe and take part in this dear ritual. This is all about Christ in you. He told us the story. He said, this is my body. Eat it. Put the broken and suffering me inside of you. And he said, this, the cup, this is my blood. Drink it. I want to be with you, and I want you to be connected and rooted in me in all things. He says, and in this, in being in me, is the forgiveness of sins, is being broken off from all of the stuff that isn't you, so you can be free to be as God already sees you, beloved, well-pleasing. We're um, going to invite you, you can come up and uh, dip and take uh, the communion that way, or you can take a pre-pack one if you're more comfortable that way. Um, I would encourage you to come and, uh, and partake in communion as we sing.